to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Holy cow, man, it's been a hell of a roller coaster news week. This ridiculous 24 hour news cycle has been kicking my ass, man. This is the third time I've ever had to record this intro for the pod. It's been, it's been more like an eight hour news cycle this week. It seems like every time I check Twitter, there's a new crazy storyline out. Where should I start? So, episode 40 of Vicious Talk covers a wide variety of topics. Connor Larson and I offered our takes on how some of the presidential debate went last week, how the NBA finals are playing out and some of the ongoing NFL football stories with the insane fast paced nature of the news right now. I just wanted to quickly touch on some of the couple stories that we missed during our original discussions. As we all know by now, Donald Trump contracted the the COVID-19 virus and he was admitted to the Walter Reed hospital with some classic symptoms associated with coronavirus. I'm going to walk a thin line here for the sake of the podcast and not really offer too much comment besides just noting how incredibly ho- wild this whole story has become. Just truly unprecedented circumstances we continue to face here in 2020. It's just crazy, but I feel like Trump's COVID news kind of put to rest some of the media coverage of that awful debate earlier in the week, the presidential one- debate between Joe Biden and, and Trump. And I enjoyed uh, fleshing out some of our opinions with Connor uh, later on this podcast. So I decided to leave that in despite just feeling basically like that that debate was like a year ago at this point. I mean, news is just moving so fast. But earlier in the week, uh, also, there was uh, news about a number of players and staff members with Tennessee Titans contracting the COVID virus. Uh, And Saturday morning, I ended up waking up to see that Cam Newton with the the New England Patriots has now tested positive. Thoughts and prayers obviously go out to Cam and his family and hoping that the New England Patriots are able to avoid any more positive results. Adam Schefter actually actually reported uh, that the Patriots had nobody else test positive on Saturday. So Cam's possibly the biggest name and superstar now in sports that has tested positive thus far, really, um, or at least the biggest athlete to test positive during their respective seasons. So it'll be interesting to see how the NFL handles it. They're initially reporting that the KC uh, New England game will eventually be played on Monday, possibly Tuesday night. But we, as we saw with Tennessee, I'm not really holding my breath con- considering how contagious this disease is and how likely it is that New England and New England's camp ends up popping up with some more positive tests. I'm really just hoping for the best, but I'm kind of expecting the worst because on late afternoon on Saturday, uh, Saints fullback Michael Byrne also tested positive for the COVID-19 virus and he flew with the Saints to Detroit. Uh, further game against the Lions this week. So the Saints now are scrambling to test other players after learning about Burton to see if they could actually play this week. But just the uptick in positive tests has coaches now talking about the possibility of pressing pause on the season. Actually, I saw pro football talk actually tweeted this out today. Um, some of the coaches are considering pressing pause and maybe reconfiguring this year's regular season to maybe a 12 game regular season um, schedule. And putting some of the players, uh, putting players in hotels and creating more of like a bubble scenario for teams. Just so many moving pieces and variables to consider here. So honestly, I think pressing pause for at least a week sounds like maybe the smartest decision considering just how chaotic Saturday was. From a fantasy football perspective, really, it's just been a nightmare. Um, So many great fantasy players are are scheduled to be playing in that Kansas City, New England game. Cam Newton. Uh, had been a really great fantasy QB thus far for um, owners. He will likely now be out, what, like three or four weeks, I'm guessing, but that's completely uncertain as well. I know the NFL had to have been expecting some positive tests. I mean, Major League Baseball had 
similar scenarios with the Miami Marlins and St. Louis Cardinals during their regular seasons. So these occurrences can't be completely unexpected, but the MLB was able to recover extremely well from their outbreaks. And it seemed like it took a couple scares really around the league for everyone to start kind of taking the health and safety protocols seriously. So we'll see if anything like that happens here with the NFL with just, but really with just the sheer amount of people involved in hosting NFL football games, I think it's going to be more difficult for football to manage outbreaks and enforce strict uh, safety and health protocols uh, to combat these things. But I'm really hoping they can figure it out and we don't see any more camps contracting the terrible disease, but I don't know. We're going to have to see. For fantasy, though, I definitely recommend to commissioners that they implement a policy I've seen suggested around social media. I think Ryan McDowell with DynastyLeagueFootball.com posted about this first. Any players involved with the Kansas City-New England game should be allowed a designated backup should the game be postponed unexpectedly after Sunday games. I know they're tentatively scheduled the scheduling the game right now for Monday, maybe Tuesday night, and it looks um, like right now they're trying to go forward. But we already saw with Pittsburgh and Tennessee that should more positive tests end up cropping up, um, this game could very well be end, uh, end up getting postponed and moved to a later date. So we'll have to see what happens there. It only, honestly just feels like a coin flip as to whether or not this game happens. But in my opinion, uh, fantasy commissioners should really be offering their uh, team managers uh, the opportunity to designate a backup player and then use the commissioner tools to manly swap out a uh, New England or Kansas City player for that backup if that game does happen um, to get postponed. So I think it's the best solution for this chaotic situation at the moment. So if your league hasn't already brought this up, I definitely recommend you talk to your respective fantasy commissioners about it as soon as possible. So, right, all right, uh, enough of that. Thanks for listening. Please follow Vicious Talk with Benny P on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, follow all things analysis on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that analysis on Twitter. Remember um, also please subscribe on the website at allthingsanalysis.com. Shoot us any emails at allthingsanalysis at gmail.com. Uh, so without further ado, here's episode 40 of vicious talk with Benny. <laughs> Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Connor Larson and I are back to talk about a variety of topics today. Connor and I are recording on Thursday night, October 1st. A lot of ba- a lot of baseball going on today in the last few days. Some Thursday night football going on. Really a lot to talk about. And um, Connor, let me first welcome you to the podcast again. Good to have you back, buddy. What's popping, Benny? It's always great to be here, man. Definitely. All right, buddy. So tonight, man, what, what, what don't we want to talk about? I mean, there's the NBA finals that went on last night, just a crazy amount of MLB playoff games. It's almost impossible to keep track of all of them. Football's in full swing and we got an election going on and uh, just some really crazy stuff in, in the world. So let's start with the presidential debate. Starting off with uh, a big one. Yeah, I know. And the, the, the debate the other night was just, <laughs> I mean, for, all the wrong reasons it it had more publicity and more commentary after the fact than maybe any other debate I'd ever seen. Um, just the fact that there was just, it was a spectacle and it was, and for all the wrong reasons, it was a spectacle. And um, Connor, let me get your thoughts on, on what you, what you took away from that last presidential debate on the other night. 
Well, it was hard to take away anything considering uh, both candidates were speaking at the same exact time the entire time. Um, the thing I took away from it was that it was it was a debate like nothing I've ever seen before. Um, George Stephanopoulos afterwards said he's been covering debates for 40 years um, and he has never witnessed anything that unpresidential to use, uh, to use the term. Um, and it was, it was incredible how, how often, uh, president Trump was interrupting Joe Biden and Chris Wallace, um, as well. Joe Biden oftentimes was talking over the moderator and Trump too. So, um, a lot, a lot of colorful language was thrown around. It, It was hard to keep track of the topics they were on. Um, and I think, (laughs) <laughs> the moderator should be given uh, a purple heart for that type of um, performance. I have no sympathy for Chris Wallace. I know he was, he had to play, but he, Christopher Wallace had to basically be like a kindergarten teacher trying to mediate some peace between two kindergartners that were fighting over a toy on the playground. But dude, he did a terrible job, dude. He did so bad at moderating that. I, I understand how difficult that, that must've been, but he, I, I like I would like to think that there were better options to mo- help moderate that because he let he he, he I know he got uh, uh, towards the the middle and and the later half of the debate he got a little bit more stern with trying to enforce the rules of of two minute takes and and enforcing the rules basically of the debate that weren't there initially at all and he he revived some of that but. Man, he did a really poor job, I thought. And um, I really just, I couldn't believe that they didn't have the ability to mute mics. I thought that was the most simple fix of the entire debate. Like the debate would have been 10 times better if they just allowed the moderator to mute mics. And I'm sorry, like that's never been done before, but this year is, it's necessary. Like, right. We never had candidates like this before. We we never had, we never had an uh, orange orangutan in our office. So, did you see how orange he looked? By the way, he looked like he literally looked like the color orange, like the ATA logo. He looked like that that orange A. Oh my gosh! Dude. That's how we selected the color. No, we did not. <laughs> Edit that part <laughs> out, man. Did you see? Um, did you see too? Uh, there was a picture that exposed his wig, like his his weave. There was yeah, like he had. I, I saw that, that, and I also saw there was a picture behind, uh, from behind Trump and Biden, and uh, Trump has a donk, man. I'll give him that. He's got some cushion back there. Biden's like a like a twig. <laughs> Dude, Trump Trump weighs as much as like a professional athlete. He's like a, he's like as tall and as heavy as like a professional athlete, but he just carries it in the wrong areas, obviously. Oh, <laughs> it's incredible. So he's, he's one of the bigger presidents we've had. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not sure if there's much more I want to go into because in general, we we like to keep politics out of it, but just initial reactions were that was, it was just incredible and definitely something to bewilder. And let's rather than reminisce, let me give, let me give, let me give you my quick take on it just because I really felt that. So people like to talk about winners and losers, whether it was Trump or Biden. And I don't think it was either. And I, I think it depends on your perception of who you like more than the other. Um, but really the only definitive loser there was, was the American people. Yeah. And there are just so many issues and topics right now that the American people and the world really just want to hear from our current and po- our possibly next president. 
I mean, there's like, the, we got the COVID pandemic. How are we going to address that? There's police brutality, raising tensions and race riots around the country. The lives of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd were just passed over and not addressed in a direct sense. And there's just a plethora of issues that we want to hear somebody have some sort of leadership take on. The, there's just, the tensions are higher than ever in this country. And we all need to hear some sort of leadership plan on tempering frustrations, mending division, and bringing peace for all Americans and the world. And there was no hint of any of that discussion going on last night. We didn't hear anything like that. Like, I feel really bad for the families that are affected, that have been affected by COVID, like the ones who have lost loved ones from COVID-19 and the ones who have lost jobs and endured severe economic hardships. Like, they didn't hear anything from our our president or our future president about how they're going to fix those issues. And I feel bad for the families of victims of police brutality of Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and the plethora of black folks who have been victims of police brutality in general. I, I feel really bad for those people. And I, and I just feel like our president and our future potential president really let those, those individuals down. Yep. And, and we saw our current president dance around and refuse to simply condemn white supremacy outright. How simple is that? I condemn white supremacy. Three, four words. Like, how simple is that? It's not very hot takey, that's for sure. Right? I mean, instead of calming the American people down and instilling some confidence and pride for our country and its future, Donald Trump and Joe Biden are just pouring diesel on the fire. And it's just so sad and disheartening. And I know we try to uh, our best to, to not take too strong of a stance on this, but it's just really difficult to just stomach these, these kinds of things. And I don't, I, don't, I don't know how this election is going to turn out because I don't see how either candidate Winnie is going to bring some sort of positive change. You really question the motives of both of these candidates when they're both in their eighties. Um, and, and Trump has, has had such a illustrious history that it, it just doesn't feel honest or true for either of them to think that they would be the best person to run this country at this point. Um, that. And, and so it just feels like both of them are up there for selfish reasons rather than caring about the American people. Um, so Ben, I really thank you for your take. That was, it was a really strong and, and great take. Um, and one thing I want to talk about is how do we improve the next debate? Um, and let's, let's throw out some real ideas Let let's throw out some fun ideas because that really was like two children praying around. So like, how do you, how do you treat, Something like that. Well, maybe you well, treat first, children. can we get like a spray bottle every time they talk out of turn or something? You know, just like, right. you know, Trump uh, bringing some comedy into it could be useful. Yeah, the Republican Party would never let that happen though, because all the self tanner would rub off of Trump's face. <laughs> oh my god, dude! First off, they have to address some decorum. They have to both have to stop just being so ruthless and and hurtful to one another. Right. Don't bring up someone's don't bring up someone's child. That was so that was such a low blow from Trump. If I was Biden, I would have understood like if he said if he walked off the stage and said, if you're going to bring up my son, I'm out of here. Like that is just despicable that he did that. And you know what? If Biden was going to was going to play that game, he could have thrown it right back into Trump's face. His sons have drug problems as well. And I I, do. I thought that was terrible. And, and but the thing with Joe, dude, Joe, Joe's not. He did not put on a great performance. Joe can't laugh when Trump makes asinine statements and about serious issues. It's just fuel for Trump's fan base. They see him like joking around about it and not taking it seriously. And Biden needs to get. He needs to figure it out. Like when Trump starts running his mouth off and interrupting him, 
Joe needs to silence him right away by saying something abrupt. And he, he has moments where he does those, but they're at the, the timing is off with it. Right. And he needs to put, put, he needs to put Trump in his place for just five seconds and then get back to the topic and be serious. He can't right. be, he can't be meandering around issues and he really well, needs to very show. well to take him off his track. And he, did. he, he, and did. he would, Biden would be trying to stick to a line on a topic, right? And actually discuss an idea. And then Trump would interrupt and Biden would get sucked in like a fish on a hook into some argument that was aside from the actual line of questioning that he was going with. And Trump successfully did that all night. And so Biden came across a little confused. He did do well in, in trying to talk to the American people at some point, which was nice to see, but yeah, but I think they definitely need to talk about some solutions, including having a timer on the screen. So the American people got to be able to mute mics too, because they got to, we don't know if Christopher Wallace was actually saying, okay, it's you're at two minutes, Donald and in Donald, you got two minutes. It would be helpful to actually see a timer that the candidates are also seeing. So we know as, as the audience, what's happening. You, we never watch a football game without having a clock. So why would, why would this be any different? Right. Um, Additionally, why can't the audience be more interactive in the American people? So why can't we submit questions to the moderator? Yeah. That's usually a later, isn't that usually the last debate where they bring in audience questions? It's usually, I think one, I think that's one of the last debates they usually do, but I don't, if I'm Biden's camp, I don't know. I, I, if I'm Biden's camp, I might just be like, I'm not doing another debate unless these rules are in place and Trump follows them. Right. Because Trump agreed to them, but clearly he didn't give two rats ass about the rules and he's shown that his whole presidency by breaking the rules. Yeah. I don't know. I I don't, I don't think debates are going to be, I don't think these two are going to have great debates at all. I don't. No. I mean, I, I can understand you could make some logistical changes to try try to help improve some of the issues with just letting them speak in general. But I just don't see the. I don't see how these two people can stand in the same room and have a civilized conversation about actual issues that are affecting our country. Right. I, I think the debates going forward will be best served uh, for the American people if they just treat it as a drinking game rather than uh, a presidential election. Um, you're going to have a lot more fun. And in the end, you're going to want to have a drink either way if you try to pay. All right. No kidding. To talk over each other. So, uh, well, let's let's move on to some more exciting or uh, any other news besides that. But I'm glad we got to touch on it because it's it's in the forefront of all of our minds, and it's important that we dissect these issues and try to fix them. We are uh, Americans in the end, and we need to look out for each other. So, thank you, Ben, certainly. for that take. Yeah, dude. I mean. We're really relying on sports and some of these entertainment things to just help take our minds off of this. And so you're right. Let's dive into some of this. We have, we want to talk some notes about the NBA finals. I I honestly don't think there's much to talk about here because the Lakers won 116 98 last night and the score final score isn't even indicative how much of a blowout that was. I think the Lakers were up by like 30 something, 34 points or so at one point. Uh, I don't see how the heat could take this, especially after the injuries to Goran Dragic uh, with the foot, the tear in his plantar fascia on his foot and uh, Bam Adebayo with the next strain. They're both going to be out for the next game. It looks like, I think, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know the uh, certainty of Adebayo being out for the rest of the series. I think he will, he will make another appearance uh, at some point, but it sounds like Goran Dragic is out and that's a major blow because Dragic was really re- re- regaining that all-star form that he, he had with um, the, the Phoenix Suns and, some of those other teams that he was with. So 
I don't know. I just, I don't see how the heat can recover from this. I, I'm picking Lakers in four, maybe five at, at best for the heat. Yeah. I think that, I think the series is going to be five or six games, depending on if Adebayo comes back. And I think if Adebayo comes back in the next game or two, that could really be an energizing factor for this team. And sometimes we see a team that's severely undermanned rally for a game or two, um, especially considering the length of these playoffs, it's easy for a team that's up three Oh or three one to kind of, pull off the brakes a little bit. Um, and we certainly know the Lakers are an older team. So maybe by the end of the series, the heat could sneak a game, but I, I think you're right on that with these injuries and the way that game one went, it seems very clear that the Lakers are going to take it. And it seems like they're going to take it before seven games. Damn dude. I've had, uh, I've had to suffer through six Laker championships now while the Lakers haven't even made a Western conference finals. It's just, I can't get over that fact. Not easy being a Clippers fan, is it? No, it's not. But all right, dude, enough about the Lakers. They, they're going to win it. So good for them. Good, good for, for them. Lakers. Next topic. Right. Next topic. MLB playoffs, dude. One of my takeaways with this NBA, this MLB playoffs, did I say NBA, MLB playoffs, um, is just the amount of games being thrown at us in a short amount of time. It's like, I'm a, I love baseball and I've been trying to watch as many of them as I, as I can. It's impossible to follow every of them, all of them. Like, I wish they would stagger them a little bit better, but. I, the reason why they had them so condensed is they had a cushion of days after this series to let the teams travel to the respective bubbles to the next round and settle in and, and get a couple of days or a day or two to um, recover from the series and, and settle into their new spots. So uh, I get that, but man, it's been I, 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 some great baseball has been played and I'm not, I'm not able to follow it all. So I, I catch highlights all the time, no doubt, and I, I, I under, and I'm following it, but like I'm not able to watch it. Like I would, I, pr- I would prefer to watch Major League Baseball playoffs. So, um, the what's your takes though? I mean, what 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 have been some of your favorite your your favorite series so far? Your favorite moments? What what I what I would like to say is that in terms of the concept of having MLB playoffs all day and kind of having this this new bracket is really cool and it could be a nice marketing strategy for the MLB if they're able to monetize this like March Madness does and try to draw in crowds um, by making it more interactive. So having people online filling out brackets, submitting into pools, gathering friends that, that could be another way for the, the MLB to draw in some of those younger users who think baseball might be boring if they're able to put something on the line as they follow. And because it's on all day, it's easy to turn on the TV and catch a game. So it is kind of nice in that sense. But yeah, if you're, if you're a true fan and you're trying to keep track of everything, there's, it's not going to be possible because you have to eat at some point, you have to sleep at some point, you know, (laughs) especially with the different time zones and the way that they're just really packing in every single game. Yeah, and and they had the Laker game. They had the Dodger game going at the same time as the Laker game last night. I thought that was a terrible marketing decision by the MLB. I mean, how's I mean, LA, LA were they were watching both? They were trying to flip channels between the Lakers and the Dodgers. I mean, luckily the finals game wasn't even interesting. I'm sure that they started to watch the Dodger game down the stretch because it got close. But yeah, yeah. I mean, what I love is the three games. I love the three game series over the one game wild card games. I, I think they got to abolish the one game. I think I, I, I thought the expanded playoffs was a good decision for this year, but just this year, I think they should go back to the, the two wild cards and the four and the three division winners next year. Um, but I think that the, the wild card rounds on both leagues should be three games instead of one. Um, and I just think that, 
I mean, we saw how, I mean, Oakland lost their first game against the White Sox and then it turned out to be a great series and they took games two and three. I mean, I was watching that game, biting my nails watching. I don't have a horse in that series. And I, dude, I was on the edge of my seat following the A's and the White Sox. And that would have, we would have been deprived of that if, the, if it was a one-game series and the White Sox would have just advanced after the first game. I mean, it makes you think about those A's and the Twins teams that I know the Twins had a, another poor performance in the postseason, but makes you think about the, the many wildcard appearances they've made over the last few seasons and been eliminated in, you know, the, the, both the A's and the twins have, have been eliminated in, in, in a number of wildcard games over the last few years. Yeah. Makes you think about if they had another opportunity for, for game, best of three series, would they have been able to overcome it? Yeah. I, I've been tuning in a little bit to the, uh, the Cardinals. Uh, I'm a Cardinals fan first and foremost. So to see these guys sneak into the playoffs and, and then perform as well as they have been against what many people thought were the favorites in the Padres has, has been really inspiring gives me hope as they hopefully move deeper into the playoffs. Um, and then the Yankees are just super fun. The amount of home run hitters they have on the team, it's just fireworks every game with them. So, you know, like in the NBA where there's more three pointers and the NFL where there's more throwing and passing the Yankees are in that trend for, uh, for baseball where there's more home run hitting. So and that yeah. one, that one's a really fun team to watch. Yeah. That Cleveland game, the Cleveland Yankees game last night, the game two that they had was awesome. I've watched, I watched a lot of that. Um, yeah. really it came down to the end and, uh, man, I felt bad for Cleveland. They're the, they're now, I think on 77 years of a world series drought, really getting close, unfortunately to that Cubs 100 plus year drought and um man cleveland was so close in 2016 they've been so close over the last few years i feel for them and um i was pulling for them i'm i i don't like the yankees but man they have a great lineup and if if uh if they're if their relief pitching is going to throw as well as they did in the in game one um, not so much a game two that offense really carried them but i think the yankees are a team to be uh to be worried about that offense mm-hmm. is the powerhouse like we saw one thing I noted was that um, Chapman in one of the games threw two innings, um, which as these games start to get stacked more closely together, probably isn't going to be repeatable going forward. Um, the fans will tell you not to do that. Yeah. You don't really want to use your, your closer and, and really tire his arm up through the series, especially with a guy who throws as fast as Chapman does. Um, you know, these guys go through an incredible amount of tension on their el- arms and elbows. As someone who has suffered from tendonitis from being a former pitcher, uh, Tell me about it. yeah, Ch- Chapman's definitely going to have some elbow problems later in his life. But right now it's the Yankees job to make sure that he can last um, the entire playoffs. So I-, I hope that they don't keep running him out there for two innings um, or else I think by the end of the series, he's going to be, or by the end of uh, the playoffs, he's going to be pretty tired out and his perm- performance won't be uh, up to his peak standards. Yeah. The same thing happened with um, the A's closer, Liam Hendricks. He, uh, he threw like 50 pitches yesterday through two innings to close out the game two victory for the A's. And then he came in today and threw and, cl- and saved the game for them at the end. So <laughs> he really threw a lot in this series against the White Sox and they needed it. So we'll see how that affects their, the, how that kind of takes a toll on the closers going down the stretch. But I mean, really this is when closers and, and pitchers really start to just empty the tanks and on their injuries and, and rely on looking forward to a, a, a relaxing off season. So Ben, how's your bracket doing? I know you filled out a pre-playoff bracket. Is your, is your, I'm, so I hit, 
I, I already lost pretty heavy in the AL. I had Cleveland and Minnesota going to the ALCS. So I missed those two already, but um, I really, I probably would have changed my, my Minnesota pick if I had seen that Donaldson wasn't going to be playing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I thought that really affected their lineup really because just this just presence in that Minnesota lineup makes a big difference and not having him and then having Rosario get ejected in the second game really deflated their chances and, I thought they got robbed again. I mean, Minnesota's had some great teams over the years and they just can't get, they can't even get to an ALCS. So I feel for them in that fan group, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, the postseason's just been really fun so far. I'm really looking forward to the A's Astros series. I'm rooting for the A's. Nobody wants the Astros to win. So, uh, man. Um, yeah, I, 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 I like the Rays going forward. They looked great against the, the Blue Jays. I thought the Blue Jays were just a team that was too young. Um, not ready to to make a, a postseason and push. Um, mm-hmm. The the lineup came alive a little bit in game two, so that was nice to see some of those young guys get some some good abs. But the Blue Jays were just too early, and they don't have the pitching. Ryu choked in game two. He, I don't think he's an ace. I don't think he's an ace caliber. Um, they just didn't have the pitching, and they they fell short. And not to be ashamed of a, of a good season for the Blue Jays, but man, that race team is they're a, they're a, a a train going full steam ahead right now, and. That Yankees Rays series is gonna that's gonna be a battle for the AL East. And I, I I'm looking forward to that one a lot too. Yeah. But the one thing that scares me with the Yankees is that I, I just don't know how much I trust their starting depth after Garrett Cole. Exactly. And the question is, can can you really trust Tanaka? I'm, I'm not I sure. I don't think so. I, I don't think, think that series can. will hinge on Tanaka's performance because I, I think they, they're gonna get a win with Cole and that could be the turning point. Yeah. The, if the Rays are able to sneak out a win against Garrett Cole at all, that, that series is going to go their way for sure. Because yeah, if the Yankees don't win with Garrett Cole, they're screwed because that's, uh, that's their guy. They're going to need him to go like seven, seven innings at least mm-hmm. to, uh, to really help their bullpen and set their team up for success in that series. Um, but the NL man had some great series as well. That Braves Cincinnati Reds series was awesome. I know the Reds, um, their offense just didn't couldn't show up. I think they got shut out again today. Um, but yeah, five zip, a, f- a fun series. I thought. I mean, they came down to the end last night. I mean, yesterday during the day, they had like a thirteen or fourteen game game uh, inning game. Mm-hmm. Freddie Freeman with the walk off at the end. Trevor Bauer with an awesome start. So a little some chirping with the Trevor Bauer strut when he got off the mound. Did you see Acuna tweeted today uh, when they did, when they officially eliminated the Reds? He tweeted a, a gif of Marcus Gasol doing that same strut with his arms. He's like, <laughs> he's like hey, go home or something like that. He told Bauer. So like, it's just fun. It's it's fun to see the personalities really on display. And yeah, it's a new it's a new style of play, and I I think this is good for the sport. I think oh it's, yeah, I think it's good to let these guys just shine and, and really just have fun. I think it makes a difference, especially with no fans. These players that show that show the energy and show the flair um, and show their personalities. I think that's crucial to making the the experience of watching a game, bringing the energy. It brings the energy for to a game without the fan because it's it's an organ it's it's an organic. It's the only other way to get some organic energy into the, into the games because usually the fans help with supplying some of that, but. Without the fans, it's really been difficult for um, baseball to get some sort of electricity in their into their matchups. And mm-hmm. I think that the players are bringing it, and the the dugouts cheering their guys on, and the players pipping home runs, and 
having awesome home run trots. Did you see um, Ozuna took a selfie halfway down first base? That was awesome, dude. Yeah. I know some people, some baseball traditionalists are going to be like, that's disgrace to the game. Oh, yeah. You got to beat him. Get out of here. Yeah. Get out of here, man. It's just fun. They're having fun. You can't just, you can't knock them for that. If you don't adapt, you'll die, right? And so that's what we see with baseball right now because th- their ratings are definitely lower. You, you feel that there's a lack of energy in the crowd, especially compared to the other sports. Basketball, I think, has done a great job of replicating that fan experience where they have the faces up there. They're loud. They're making noise. A lot of the the noise in a basketball game too is just coming over the loudspeakers. There's constantly um, music that that keeps it lively. Baseball, you know, they they don't really have th- those constant interaction like football or basketball does. So it's really cool to bring in some of these fun celebrations. I love the, the Connor McGregor walk off strut after speaking out a player I love the bat flips. I love, you know, these celebrations that these guys are doing um, because we've seen what it has done for football in the past when guys weren't allowed to do touchdown celebrations. And then they were, it creates this next level of showing stuff on ESPN. You're catching more highlights. You're on social media more. So I think it's a really good move for baseball to try and move the sport forward and and get rid of some of these unwritten rules. Definitely. The unwritten rules have been on, on display and, and lots of media conversations in this season specifically because of the lack of fans. I think because players are starting to try to bring the energy themselves for them and their teammates. And we're seeing some of them do things that aren't traditionally acceptable on a baseball field. But you know what I say to those people that think that like F off, like, come on, dude, these guys are having fun. Enjoy the game, root for your teams, hope for some good baseball. And we're really seeing that. I mean, look at this game we've got going on in the background. Now we got the Padres and the Cardinals at nine, eight Padres came back from a a good deficit. And this one, these games are exciting baseball and that's what you want to see. And, and I think that, baseball cannot be any happier with how this season has been turning out. Oh man. Another Will Myers home run 10 to eight Padres. Oh no. Yeah, man, dude. Baseball could not have been more proud of how this season has turned out because early on with the, the COVID outbreaks with the Marlins, the Cardinals, there was a real threat of this season, just never making it to this postseason. And the fact that they're all about to go into their bubbles and you'd like to think that they could they could replicate what the NBA was able to do and really create an environment that players are able to focus 100% of their attention to their craft and perfecting the game and really raising their levels of play. Dude, I'm pumped with what this with how this season has just turned out. I think that it could not have gone any better really. Yeah, I mean, when you consider all the challenges, I think uh, all three, uh, oh, I should say four, because we, we haven't talked much about the NHL, but the uh, the Lightning won the the cup. Yeah, and, um, I congratulated them, but yeah, I don't follow enough hockey to yeah, have a take on me. But, you know, I think all, all of the sports did a, did a pretty decent job at controlling you know, the, the risk of COVID and they, they've been responsible and they put a pretty good product forward. So I, I'm glad sports are back all across the board. Definitely. All right. Another sport that we're really enjoying right at the moment, dude, NFL football has been pretty good too. And um, we did see the COVID outbreak with the, uh, the Tennessee Titans this week. Um, let me ask you that, like, let's start there. Cause this is, a, we had a similar issue with the MLB um, where we had the, some early outbreaks so right around this point in the season, really the first, the first fourth of the season, we saw the Marlins have a number of players and, and person and coaching staff contract the virus. Now with Tennessee getting it, the game canceled. Another positive test today. 
they're going to move the bye week to this week for Pittsburgh and Tennessee, moving their game later into the schedule. What's your what's your thoughts on how the NFL should handle this? Like, do you think that it's gonna? Do you think that it's a possibility of if many outbreaks occur, or if one team affects another infects another team during a game? Do you think that's going to be like a major issue, or do you think that? the NFL is going to rely on some of the tactics that major league baseball and and the national basketball association were able to do. Yeah. I don't think they're going to be able to create a bubble like basketball, but I think there's a better corollary with baseball. Um, when you just consider the roster size and where these guys have to be able to play and and the amount of traveling that they do. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the NFL is doing a pretty good job so far with the amount of testing and they've been very responsive to the positive tests. I think they're doing the right thing here in giving both of these teams a bye week so they can reassess and continue to monitor for people showing up with symptoms or to continue to test around these players. And I do see more situations like this happening, but I think that if they continue to handle it like they do, just give this team a bye week reschedule and make sure that, you know, everybody who plays in the following week has been tested multiple times and come up clean. And then you just have the guys who came up positive. Unfortunately, they have to go on that short term IR, the COVID IR and you move forward. Baseball was able to move forward from a few positive tests. And you know the only way, I see there being some serious issues is if any of these players or coaches and personnel develop some really serious and hospitalizable worth symptoms. Um, You know, you hope it won't come to that for anyone, but that's the only real danger I see of having a longer term halt in the NFL, but with the amount of money tied up in the sport and the amount of attention it's drawing from fans like us, I really don't see them putting the season on pause um, besides just removing the teams that are actively infected from playing in that week. Yeah, I agree. I think that there um, it's going to take some pretty severe outbreaks and, and cases for them to really have some significant delays in their season. I do. I, I thought it was a, uh, I'm glad, I'm glad you brought the point that it was good that they canceled the game and just decided to move it later because it felt like when the initial news came out that they were like, well, maybe we'll play Monday or Tuesday. It just, it felt like it was like, it's not worth it. It's too much. Let them let, let the teams like figure out their next steps and, and quarantine themselves and make sure they're all healthy because I think that's the, that's gotta be their, their main focus. You can't be, you can't be putting, not only players, the the coaches and the and the staff or, and the people that help m- run games and manage games, like those people are important too. Like you gotta you gotta worry about everybody's health. And there's just so many people involved in the sport and hosting an NFL game that you just safety has got to come first. And I, I'm glad that the NFL was able to do that. I, yeah. I don't always agree with their their um, decisions on, on big operations like this, but I think that was the right decision. Yeah. So that means, you know, player safety comes first. We suffer a little bit on the fantasy football end, which is fine. We accept you guys are going to have a bye week move on, find somebody to fill them in, in your roster. So Ben, who, who are those guys that are, you're going to be missing this week. And uh, let's talk about some possible fill-ins. If you have some of these players on your rosters. Yeah. Good, good transition into fantasy because this is definitely having some fantasy football implications. Um, fantasy football is just such a big part of the real game, the real sport nowadays that you can't help but think about the loss of some crucial players and people's fantasy lineups. Guys like James Conner, Ben Roethlisberger, Juju Smith-Schuster, Deontay Johnson all on, on Pittsburgh. Some options that a lot of people have in their lineups. And um, right. Tennessee has like Tannehill, Derrick Henry, 
I don't think AJ Brown was going to play, but possibly uh, Johnny Smith, Corey Davis, some really important fantasy players. Um, just going to have to t- sit, sit, sit a week out and, and take their bye week a little early and just appreciate you'll get, you'll get this guy later in the season. You'll get James Connor in week eight instead of week four. I mean, it's just another bye week. I, I know it's unexpected and it's not the easiest to pivot in midweek like this, but um, if you are able to squeak out a win, despite those, um, those losses to your lineups this week, it really just, it's a, it's a big bonus because of the fact that you'll now have one of your best players later in the season, you'll have them later in the season instead of, and, and if you're able to squeak out this week, like, you know, it's, it's a, that's a win-win. So, and if you're, if you're not able to squeak out a win, hopefully you're not 0 three, like, like myself, because that's a, I'm glad that I have, uh, Options. I mean, I have Big Ben on my team, but I think I'm 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 fine with pivoting over to, to Minshew of the Jacksonville Jaguars this week. But um, yeah, absolutely. So one thing we we're here to help you win your league when things like this happen, right? Definitely. So let's go over some of those fill-in players that people can use to help bridge the gap between the, the COVID uh, the COVID outbreak teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, let's start with the QBs. So. QBs, I mean, I'm sure a decent amount of people are at least rostering um, Ben Roethlisberger and Ryan Tannehill. Oh, both of them, both of them um, not, not typically going to be the starting quarterbacks that you're relying on week in and week out, but definitely options that people have on the rosters, um, not neither likely to be um, on the free agent list. So some guys that I, I think down the list that uh, people can pivot to. I think you, you made a good, a good one with Jared Goff. Um, what are you, what's your thoughts on Goff against the Giants this week? Goff's heating up. He's got two great games. And if he's able to sink this third cup, he'll be on fire. Uh, the Giants have a horrible defense and they've been an absolute sieve. So I think Goff is going to be, be able to toss the ball all around on them. Um, another quarterback in a great matchup that's probably on your waiver wire this week is Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, Fitzpatrick is the Seahawks. I love this one. This game has a huge over under uh, the Seahawks have not uh, shown the ability to stop any uh, real pass, um, oh, offense, yeah. including the Patriots who have one of the um, lesser receiving options in terms of teams out there. And we saw Demir bird, Nikhil Harry and Julian Edelman go crazy all over them. So I, I'm not, I wouldn't be shocked if Devonte Parker and Preston Williams have big games. So I like Fitzpatrick as well. Um, ben, who, who do you like to yeah. fill? I do. I love that Fitzpatrick one. He, the Seahawks defense is the first in NFL history to allow 1200 passing yards through three weeks. Oh yeah. God. They've allowed the second most fantasy points to quarterbacks this year. And they're now likely without their best defensive player in Jamal Adams with the groin injury he had last week. So Fitzpatrick fire him up. Even if you have another option, like Fitzpatrick is a top 10 option for me this week at, at the QB position. So if he's available, I mean, even if you don't have Ben Roethlisberger well, or and he is on our waiver wire. So, uh, if you wanted to pick him up, I won't stop you from doing it now. <laughs> Dude, I, I, I think I, I might with him. Oh, I might take him over Minshew this week, but I do. I do like the Cincinnati matchup. Uh, Cincinnati can't rush the passer at all. So that's a, that's a, that's a tough decision for me. I'll, I'm going to think that one over and I'm, I'll, I'll make the decision after the podcast, but unless the decision's made for you and I decide to be an evil co-host. Yeah, go ahead. Pick him up myself. <laughs> <laughs> all right, buddy. <laughs> I'm already having a tough enough time picking between Matt Ryan and Goff, so I won't do that. All right. Yeah, dude, um, one bargain basement guy that I, I have my eye on this week is Nick Mullins with the San Francisco 49ers. He looked pretty good last week. I thought he looked pretty good for the 49ers against the Giants. And I know it's the New York Giants. 
terrible defense. Say what you want. You know, the matchup was good, but you I think it was much better. <laughs> I don't think Philadelphia is much better. I don't think, I think Philadelphia is maybe worse. I mean, right. Philadelphia is really frigging bad this year. And I think Nick Mullins has another, has another opportunity to have a good week. Uh, I think he, he's definitely available. If you, if you need to pivot off of Tannehill or Ben Roethlisberger, um, and you're desperate for a QB, or if you're trying to find a bargain in your DFS lineups, I think you could do worse than Nick Mullins this week. I think that's a great point too, Ben, because this is a guy who knows the system. He played last oh, yeah. Garoppolo was injured. He played last week. He and he played both, um, played uh, both times very well. So uh, he's going to get George Kittle back this week as well. Debo Samuel should be activated off the IR. I'm not sure if he's going to play, but it, Kittle looks like he's going to start. And that that's mm-hmm. a great receiving option that he's going to get back this week that he didn't have last week as well. And going up against Philadelphia, um, there's certainly going to be opportunities to score for him. Definitely. Yeah. I like, I, I like him as a, as a bargain guy this, this week. Um, but talking about our DFS lineup. So who ended up winning last week's matchup in the DraftKings lineup that we made? Ah, uh, so I, I submitted my worst lineup. I made two lineups last week and I'm pissed because one of my lineups, I had hustle and bustle, Russell and Tyler Lockett. And we know how that combo did. Um, so that cash for me, but that's not the one I submitted. The one I submitted lost to you, Ben. Um, okay. We left Rogers in there for you, even though, uh, you had, um, said, you know, pivot off of him if Adams is out and Rogers ended up having a great game. So he did. I was good surprised. Thing, good thing we didn't swap him out for anyone. Um, and then finally, Allen Robinson paid off, man. So you were able to sneak ahead. I think Foles is going to... Oh, man, that's another guy we should mention is Foles is a good option. Um, he's going to be the starting quarterback. And he and Allen Robinson look like they already have a great connection. Allen Robinson um, profiles as a, a younger Alshon Jeffrey before Alshon's many injuries. And Foles love to huck it up to Alshon back on the Eagles. So I think those two are, are going to be a really strong option going forward together, yeah. too. So yeah, you yeah. Won, you're up to one in our series. Yeah. And, and then we'll, we'll, we'll pick our lineups later this week. We haven't really looked at the week four yep. DFS situations. Check out our Instagram and Facebook. We'll, we'll put, we'll post it out there for you guys. So you can uh, pick up some of our players and throw them into your lineups. Okay. Do you have anybody that, so say you have Derek Henry or James Connor in your lineup this week. Or both. And, Imagine if you I, went like second round, third round with those guys. That's a tough one, man. Who are, is there anybody that might be available or maybe who are some guys that in that lower tier that might be available in your leagues um, and maybe in a 10 team league that, that might be available that you might have your eye on. Is there anybody you have, you have in mind? Yeah, it's not um, a pretty landscape out there. If you look at the waiver wire, some guys that might have be options um, are Jarek McKinnon with Raheem Moster out again, mm-hmm. this week. Um, but he's probably rostered in your league. If I'm just looking at our waiver wire right now, I probably am going all the way down to Chris Thompson. Um, mm-hmm. He's a guy with a devi- defined role in the offense. Um, so he's going to get some pass catching work. No, I don't hate that. Natty. So that could be a high scoring game where James Robinson doesn't play as much. And Chris Thompson gets a little bit of work. Um, and then the other option and, and Ben, these are really desperation plays here. So you probably have a guy in your bench, hopefully that's better than one of these. Yeah. Options. That's the reality of this. Like you, if you're, um, if, if you're forced to pivot off of Henry or Connor, like you, the, the reality is you're probably somebody else on your bench in all likelihood. Right. But if you, if you really need to make a, a pickup and you just want to bet on a touchdown, go for Jordan Howard, I guess. He's clearly the goal line back there. He's getting stuffed a lot, but 
out of anybody on that Dolphins team when we think it's going to be a high-scoring game, um, he could fall into the end zone. Now, certainly I'd rather play Miles Gaskin. I'm just assuming he's not on your free agency list. Are there any wide receivers you have you, you might have your eye on? Yeah, so um, a guy I really like this week is T. Higgins. He mm-hmm. is the third receiver on the Cincinnati Bengals, and he is their 33rd overall draft pick this year. He is a wide receiver out of Clemson put up great college stats and they drafted this guy for a reason. He's there to uh, pair up with Burrow and be the future of this team from a young perspective. Um, I think he's going to eventually succeed AJ green on this team. And he's already passed up uh, the third wide wide receiver spot from John Ross. Um, So the first week he only had, uh, I think, 15 plays and last week he had nine targets. So if you consider that trajectory, he had two touchdowns. I mean, this guy is getting the volume he's on the field and the team's showing confidence in him. The fact that John Ross was a healthy scratch. Yeah. I, I like that one. Uh, T Higgins is you could do worse than him this week. The big play potential with him. I mean, Burrow threw the ball 61 times. He's throwing the ball like crazy. He's running around like a madman. got sacked eight times last week. I mean, I don't know. We'll talk about that, but, um, other wide receivers I do like, I kind of like Hunter Renfro who might be there on your waiver wire. And I do like uh, Greg Ward with Philadelphia with Deshaun Jackson out. Mm-hmm. I don't, I think that Philadelphia is going to have to throw the ball this week. And, I think those uh, are really good picks. Yeah. I, I think you could do worse than some of those too. So if you need a wide receiver two or three, you, you, there's some guys that might be available in the wide receiver spot. One more guy I just picked up today and he's not a guaranteed um, guy to throw in your roster, but if John Brown ends up going out, feel free to slide in Cole Beasley in, into your flex spot. Definitely. Because, um, Beasley's coming off a hundred yard game and Brown uh, is dealing with an injury right now. And if he doesn't play Cole Beasley will be the number two target. And we know what Josh Allen looks like. Um, he's throwing the ball all over the place, like crazy and scoring a ton of points that bills offense looks electric. Um, so Cole Beasley is certainly a good option. Yeah, dude. Josh Allen was a guy I wanted to talk about, dude. Josh Allen. Let's get into he's, it. He's the runner-up MVP right now. To, I mean, I don't see how anybody how anybody could take Russell Wilson. I mean, uh, Josh Allen over Russell Wilson or anybody over Russell Wilson for that matter. At this <laughs> Dan Orlovsky, dude. Yeah, I was watching. Uh, dude, if if you if you take an MVP other than Russell Wilson right now, you're wrong. That's I mean, you're wrong. It's not an opinion. You're wrong. So, but dude, Josh Allen is elite this year, and the reason why I say that is the running ability has always been there. And that's been, that's been attractive from a fantasy football perspective, but in a real football perspective this year, the accuracy and the way he's throwing his footballs is, is tenfold better. Mm-hmm. He, he, his inaccuracy last season was abysmal. Like he was one of the worst in the leagues in, in completed pass rates. Right. And this year he's, it's just like, it's the big, one of the biggest turnarounds I've seen in, in the NFL. I mean, it's just immaculate the way he's, he's hitting some of these receivers and Stefan Diggs coming to the bills, man, what a great signing for that front office for the bills, man. Oh my gosh. That was awesome. Stefan right. Diggs looks like a great wide receiver one for the Buffalo bills. And dude, that bill team has to be rising in everybody's power ranking because they look fantastic right now. Yep. And now they get Zach Moss back this week. So they get a little bit of a two headed attack with Singletary. Yeah. I think both of these guys are decent running backs. I, yeah, it really seems like signing Diggs unlocked Josh Allen this year. 
Diggs is a great possession receiver. It seems like he's always open, really good route runner and ultra athletic. And he's also one of the best jump ball players there is. He's he has one of the best contested catch rates. He and Adam Thielen on the Vikings year after year were in the top 10 contested catch rates. And I really think we saw that impact on Kirk Cousins performances. That's why Kirk Cousins was decent for a couple of years in Minnesota. And he's really fallen off the wagon now because he doesn't have digs around. So, I mean, Josh Allen, he's always had the physical tools. He was an ultra athletic, huge arm. And now he's developing some accuracy and it certainly doesn't help to have a, a, an awesome wide receiver one. Definitely. Dude, I, give me some Josh Allen stat, uh, stock if anybody's going to be selling at this point in the season because that guy's on, he's on, a, he's on a mission this year. He's going to be the MVP runner-up or the MVP this year. I mean, he's going to be there. Do you push the Bills into your top five in the power rankings now? We, uh, in our first power rankings of the year, uh, we got a lot of heat from Instagram users why aren't the Bills in there? The Bills should be over the Rams. The Bills should be over the Packers. So do we slide them in? I think we do move them over the Rams right now. Yeah, I mean, the, the Ram, I do, that was, a, that was a, a little bit of a trap game for the Rams, I thought. I mean, tra- the Rams had to travel cross-country two weeks in a row. I think there's something to be said about the West Coast teams going to the East Coast. They came uh, out two cold. weeks in a row. They did. They came out real slow. And I think the Rams really showed some poise with the comeback. They showed a little fight and some encouragement going into the next week. But you're right, dude. That Bills team, you can't ignore them at this point. They gotta be they gotta be right around that five, that five spot, if not, if not below it. I mean, they they, they gotta be right around there. They're a really, really good, great football team. Yeah. Spoiler alert for later in the week um, when we update our power rankings, maybe next week. Um, I don't think we're gonna update power rankings every week. That's too much, but every few weeks we'll refresh and I think for me, it's probably going to look like this. It's going to be the chiefs. I still have the Ravens right there. Um, and then I'm going to put the Packers and I'm going to move probably the bills into the four spot. Um, maybe Seahawks. I think those two are right there. So yeah, those are the top five teams for me. Yeah. I like it. Let me ask you this, dude. I'm not hearing any talk about the NFC East. Your, your team, the, the, the New York giants are in the NFC East. The Dallas Cowboys are, are, probably heavily favorites right now to take that. And the Dallas Cowboys haven't looked good themselves. <laughs> Let me ask you this. What do, what's your thoughts on the Philadelphia Eagles and their early on their early struggles? Oh, it's bad. It's really bad. That offensive line is not good. It's they're not protecting Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz is also trying to do too much. He's holding the ball too long. He looks uh, very inaccurate. I'm not sure if that's an effect of the receiving options he has healthy um, right now, or if it's just a, a regression and him trying to do too much more than that team really needs. And so the Eagles are, are in a bad shape, but I think they can turn it around. I think, um, yeah, I think they end up being the second best team in that conference behind the, uh, or in the division behind the, <laughs> behind the Cowboys. Right. I mean, Oh my God, that's like, that's a disgust that puts a disgusting taste in your mouth trying to pick the second best team in that division. They're like, Oh my God, mm. how do you, how, <laughs> how do you like any of the Eagles giants or um, Washington football team right now? I mean, how do you like any of those teams? And um Dude, Philly is just god awful. They yeah. sacked Joe Burrow. The, the, the Eagles sacked Joe Burrow eight times at home last last week. They were at home and they sacked the opposing quarterback eight times. If I just told you that fact alone, you would think they won by fifteen points or I mean fourteen points at least. Like, I don't understand how they're losing so many football games. I mean, Deshaun Jackson got hurt again. Goddard's on the IL. 
dude, they're going to move down on our power rankings next. Our next, hundred percent. You know what? I actually, I might go back on that and pick the Redskins number two because I like, I like the Redskins defense. I mean, at least, yeah, uh, love Terry McLaurin. Haskins has looked better this year, so I, I actually am more excited by the potential of these young players on the Redskins. And I like Ron Rivera, Antonio Gibson's really fun out of the backfield. Um, God, the Eagles scared me. You know, give me the Redskins to finish too. Why not? Yeah, right. I mean, I don't, I don't see how you could, I don't see why you should, you shouldn't be able to, to do that because I mean, Haskins threw three picks or two picks last week. Um, so, I mean, Haskins by no means is a great QB, but I mean, he's, 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 he's not, he's not doing any worse than Carson Wentz right now. I can right. tell you that. So I don't think the book is out on Haskins. I, I, we have a very quick reaction to players who are still developing now because there are, have been so many players who right away take the ball and perform well. If we think mm-hmm. about like Kyler Murray, um, even Baker had a good rookie year. Um, so yeah, we see Haskins come out and we're like, why isn't he performing right away? But you know, it's a new offense. It's a new team. They have a new head coach and he does look better. He's developed a little bit from last year. So I, I want to give it, a, give him at least a, another year before I say Haskins is a bad quarterback. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Haskins needs some more time to develop. All right. On the other side of that Philadelphia game last week though, I said, dude, the, the Cincinnati Bengals let Joe Burrow get sacked eight times and they still, and they still pull off a tie. Like it's dangerous. I, yeah, dude. I mean, Joe Burrow look is looking legit. I mean, what a great, what a great QB he's going to turn into. And I don't understand how you could be letting your rookie QB, who's going to be the face of your franchise for years to come, get sacked eight times and took he took a vicious hit to his chest, he took a helmet to the chest last week. I mean, I I, I mean, Philadelphia's rushing tack is not good. They're me- mediocre at best, and they let their premier player get sacked eight times. And I think there has to be something said about that from a coaching perspective. Just Zach Taylor is really just dropping the ball in Cincinnati at the moment. Not only did Joe Burrow get sacked eight times, why isn't Joe Mixon involved in the passing game? And and that would directly help that issue. Being able to, to throw screen passes, HB slip screens. Like that's, that's an option for Joe Burrow that they haven't unleashed. Why isn't that available? Like Zach Taylor is just making, he's just calling plays. He's not, he doesn't have any scheme or anything. It doesn't look like, I mean, they have a talented team. Like I don't understand why Cincinnati isn't better. I mean, I understand that nobody really had high expectations for them coming into the year, but I don't think they had high expectations for themselves coming this season because they have a lot of talent on that offensive side of the football. I mean, you have three decent receivers in Tyler Boyd, AJ Green, and T. Higgins, who you already talked about. I mean, I know AJ Green looks like he's lost at least a step or two this year, but I mean, Tyler Boyd is easily their number one guy, and he looks solid. I mean, he's a good receiver. And Joe Mixon is got to, and he was drafted in the first round or first first couple picks in the second round, and and almost every fantasy draft out there. I don't see why why there's not any there's not more success in Cincinnati, and I think it's a direct reflection of Zach Taylor. And he just isn't making adjustments that he needs to. He's just drawing plays up and running them. Like he's just like, Oh, Sean McVay taught me this a few years ago. And so maybe it'll work for us right now. Like he's not reading defenses. He's not making in-game adjustments. I don't know. Have you seen any of that? Yeah. And I think part of that's going to be with Burrow as well. We know some of the better teams and the better quarterbacks in the league who really have a feel for their offenses are oftentimes changing the plays at the line. And I don't think we can expect that from the rookie. So a lot of it does fall on the coach and his play selection. He's got to draw it up to get these guys in the right places. AJ green has definitely lost a step. He, he's 
getting targeted heavily, but he's not his catch rate's not very good right now. Yeah. Um, I, I trust him like- to take some of that off. Same thing with Mixon. I, I like him to get back on track. He did the same thing last year where he was really slow out of the gate. And then he ended the year with multiple rushing performances over 145 yards in the back half of the season. So I think he's a guy who gets it right. It just seems yeah, like a, a buy low guy in fantasy, in my opinion. Um, Joe Mixon. They're, they're they're throwing the ball to Gio Bernard of the backfield, which, which is very clear. He's the pass catching back. And we know Mixon has that skill set. So why not use Mixon more and just kind of use him as a three down back? I'm not sure why it's not happening at this point, but yeah, I think it's a lot of reflection on the coaching, to be honest. Yeah. Definitely a lot of potential that that defense isn't very good. And that O line is not very good. So they need to figure out some uh, fixes there. And then I think this team could be in a lot better shape moving forward. Definitely a lot of young talent and a fun team to watch. Yeah. Yeah, Another compelling take I had um, going back to the NFC East. Um, and I wanted to bring this up because I thought it was a very interesting point that I heard. This week. <laughs> don't, don't make me go back to the NFC. East. I know, but we're, let's talk about Dallas because I think Dallas is a very interesting team. A lot of people have mixed opinions on them because some people really ha- really high on them this year, really thinking that they could possibly make it to the Super Bowl, while other people are not impressed at all from what they're seeing. And I'm more on the, the other side of, I'm not impressed with what I'm seeing out of Dallas. And I heard Mike Lombardi, who's uh, probably the smartest football mind out there doing public speaking I mean, about football. He has his own podcast, the GM shuffle on Spotify and, and, and it's on all streaming platforms, but um, Mike Labardi, a former, former Patriot uh, worked under Bill Belichick, worked with the Browns with Bill Belichick. He, he's really a, a, a genius football mind. And um, when he says things, you really got to listen because he made a great point about the Dallas Cowboys. And I thought, I thought this was a really interesting take, take about some, te- some, te- some teams in general, um, that we've kind of touched on from the offensive side, but from the defensive side was we're talking about in a COVID season that keep it simple is best. Like the, like the teams that with the continuity, the teams that know their schemes going into this season are the ones that are going to have the most success. Um, but M- Lombardi made a great point. Like Mike Nolan, the, the Dallas defensive coordinator and, and Dennis Allen for the new Orleans, uh, for New Orleans saints, the defensive coordinator there, they're well known for having very um, complex defensive schemes. And usually in a typical season where there's uh, preseason and extensive practices leading up to the season, the defensive players will have time to, de- to learn and, and master some of these schemes. And over the course of the season, they'll get better. And this year, I think we've ignored the fact that on the defensive side, that keeping it simple is best. And these teams with the, def- the best defensive schemes that, uh, over the course of the last few years are the ones that are the one this year, especially are the ones that are... Um, keeping it simple. The ones that are keeping the same, they're not doing too much. And I think Dallas and new Orleans, we've seen their defensive struggle struggles early on unexpectedly because we're expecting them to basically be the same teams they were last year on defense. Cause there wasn't that much turnover on player personnel, but the defensive coordinators having a very complex defensive scheme is really throwing them off. And I think it's taking a long time for some of these defenses to adjust their struggle. There's Dallas and new Orleans are struggling early on on defense because perhaps the defensive schemes implemented on each team are just too complex for them. And they're not picking it up quickly enough with the no preseason and lack of practice time. And I think there's something to be said about that. I mean, Lombardi made a great point, And I thought this was great that Dallas's defense really looks to be like a 26 minute defense where I mean by that is they can't play, they can't play half the game. And the reason why this is important is I know from a fantasy perspective, this is important because the Dallas offense isn't feeding Zeke. They're not feeding him. And why did they pay Ezekiel Elliott all that money 
to let him play second fiddle to Dak Prescott, who they won't pay. What is this? What is the sense in that? Why have the player that you pay not be the focal point of your offense instead, let the guy who's upset with your, with your owner team owner and not getting paid um, the way a starting quarterback of his caliber is getting paid in the NFL. Like why is Dak Prescott the guy that they're relying on heavily in these games? And I understand he's off to a great start and the Dallas Cowboys are scoring lots of points, but that's, that's the, that's not the point here because what they're doing is they're scoring points at a fast rate by stretching the field and throwing deep passes. And they're not holding on to the football and they're not giving the ball to Zeke, Zeke or Elliott. And they're turning the ball over to the defense and they're making the defense make plays and they're keeping them on the field for longer than half the game. I think they were, uh, I think Dallas played 34 minutes of defense last week. And that's too much. Like that's, that's what, that was why they lost the game against Seattle because Russell Wilson is going to dominate you on the offensive end. If you give him the football long enough and I think Dallas needs to play 26 minutes on defense and 34 minutes of offense. And by doing that, to, in order to do that, they need to give the ball to Ezekiel and they need to clock manage and they need to run the ball effectively because that's what their team is built to do. And I understand they're having some success on offense by passing the ball because they have such great wide receivers, but that's not what this team is built for. This team is, this defense is not supposed to be on the field for that much time. And they're, they're not good enough to do that. And if they, if they do, if they continue to play this way, they are going to be having so many high scoring games. It's going to that 30, those 30, 40 point games there. We're not going to see the last of those already. And Dallas confuses the heck out of me because why did they bring Mike McCarthy into this team? Why did they bring him in as a coach? If they're going to let Kellen Moore call plays on offense, why Kellen Moore called plays last year? This is the same thing that happened last year. Why aren't they feeding Ezekiel Elliott? Is he going to become the new Aaron Jones of, of, of the NFC? Aaron Jones under Mike McCarthy was constantly, Matthew Berry tweeted this out all the time, feed Aaron Jones, free Aaron Jones. And, they, and finally, when Matt LaFleur came in, Aaron Jones had the best season of his career last year. And he's on, the, he's on another roll this year. He's on another hot start. And I think there's something to be said about Mike McCarthy and his reluctance of really relying on his premier running backs. And I, I just, I think it's a poor strategy for Dallas and what their player personnel um, is, is put is lean towards. I think that really they just need to, they need to readjust their offensive schemes. And I think that there could be a really, really great football team if they were to rely on Ezekiel Elliott more. Well, I'll tell you why they're not relying on Zeke though. He's, he's not been effective so far. His yards per carry on the season 2.9. I understand that. I understand that. But the, uh, the re the reason why I'm saying this is because they need to, they need to get that fixed. They need, they need to, well, they need to on the O-line then because they, they've had turnover on the O-line and then their defense is giving up points quickly too, because they got rid of Byron Jones. They don't have Leighton Vander Esch and Sean Lee is no longer on the team. So you have a lot of staples of this team that are now dealing with the complex coaching that you're talking about these new schemes, but these are also new players at the same time. And so you're really trying to do too much all at the same time with the Cowboys right now, this offense is in flux, this defense is in flux. They really don't seem to have an identity or know who they are right now. But when they were giving Zeke the ball 30 times a game, they did have an identity and they did know what they were doing. I just yeah. don't know if they can do that because of how many points this defense is going to consistently give up. I think they're going to end up having to rely on Dak. The issue is at the same time, they don't seem to trust Dak fully. Because on fourth down in crucial situations, they're going for fake punts rather than giving the ball to your highest paid players. It doesn't right. make sense. It's illogical what 
the coaching on this team is doing from all sorts. Uh, what, all, it, what it really feels like is Jerry Jones and his, and it feels like Jerry Jones is the puppet master just mm. playing the strings and he wants to have a fun team, but he doesn't know how to win football. Actually. I don't know. It's just, it's just baffling to me that such a talented team can play this way. Right. Just, that, that's why I wanted to talk about it because I thought that was a really interesting point that Lombardi brought up that this defense can't be playing as many minutes as they are because they're not built that way. Their fourth receiver last game had a hundred yards. Yeah. And two touchdowns. Wilson. The team is stacked across the board. Even their tight end Dalton Schultz is playing well. I mean, this yeah. team has really good offensive players and yet they're one and two and they're a weird coverage of an onside kick away from being zero and three. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't love it. It's a mess, dude. Like, oh boy. I think schematically Dallas needs to really just let Mike McCarthy implement what he was going to do because I, I feel like they brought him in for a reason. They're not really letting him do his thing. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, the, the, they, are, they are throwing the ball really well, which is a positive, but they got to figure out a way to clock manage better. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And they, they need to unlock Zeke. If they want to have a chance this season, I think you're absolutely correct. They need to get him going. He needs to have a hundred yards every game. And whether that means giving him 25, 27 carries, I think Zeke is the type of player who throughout a game actually builds up more momentum. Kind of like the a dude day. literally tattooed feed me on his absolutely. stomach. I mean, he, he's a feed guy who's hard to tackle. It's a punishment when you get hit by Zeke, uh, you know, you're almost the one being tackled when Zeke is running into you. So give this guy the ball. He's going to wear a defense down over time. It's not a guy who, who's going to break off consistent long runs, but he's going to break off those 10, those 15 yarders where he's going to push into the secondary and knock those DBs around and really just make this defense work and feel tired. But they're not doing that to teams. They're, they're hucking the ball around. They're scoring quickly and their defense is on the field far too long. Yeah. It's, it, there's a lot of questions that need answering in Dallas and I, I'm not picking them. I'm not picking them to go very far in a postseason push. <laughs> and I still like them to win the win. Right? And yet they're still going to win the NFCs because of how terrible that division is. What do you think about the lions? Let me ask you about them. I thought that was a great game between them and the Cardinals uh, last week. Was it, was, it was a good game. Big surprise. I, I love the Cardinals. I thought they were going to trounce the, uh, the D- Detroit lions. Um, Stafford's a really good quarterback. Adrian Peterson seems to be effective running the ball on the ground. Um, it's weird. DeAndre Swift didn't really touch the ball at all last game. Um, it seems that he's lost a little bit of confidence and the team's lost confidence in him as well. But I think he might, he might get back to it and have some opportunities later in the season. But now they get Kenny Galladay back and uh, Marvin yeah. Jones, the decent wide receiver. Hawkinson's playing better this year. So they have a lot of offensive talent as well. Um, with this team, it's always been an injury question. So if they can stay healthy, I think they can compete in a lot of games. And I think that some of the blowouts that are attributable to injury are less likely to repeat themselves later on in the season if they are healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. The reason why I wanted to bring up the Lions too was it, I think that they um, conversely have an identity that Dallas really should embrace themselves. And the Dallas defense, the Dallas offense played 32 minutes of, they, they were on the field for 32 minutes last week. So just over half the game. And really when you have a bad defense, the logic is you play you the, to, in order to succeed, you want to play less defense. And the way to do that is you clock manage and you keep your offense on the field. And that's what, that's what the Lions did last week. It managed the clock. And you know what you want? You could say all you want about Adrian Peterson and how old he is and how he lacks, he lacks big play potential, but you know what? He could still, 
carry the football and get first downs. And that's really what they need out of him. And I thought that was actually a great decision at this point to bring him in. He's looking like he by no means is he a superstar running back at this point in his career, but he's doing what they need him to do. And that's manage the clock and get first downs and bringing Kenny Galladay back last week. I just kind of, he acted a little bit more of a distraction than anything. I know he caught the touchdown, but not the, just an all right debut, but I think Kenny Galladay is a great player. Definitely not going to be hurt by bringing him back. Um, the Lions are just a, a bad defensive team and they're going to be high. They're going to have some high scoring games, but these are the kind of games that where the, where the Lions are good, are going to succeed in where their offense plays over half the game off half the minutes on of the football game. And they played 32 minutes against the Cardinals. And they managed the clock and really the Lions controlled that game from the start. And I thought that was a good game. And I thought that Dallas should really kind of do something similar. That's why I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. I think you bring up an interesting point um, in they're feeding Adrian and, and guess who has the higher yards per carry on the year Zeke or Adrian. I know. Right. Imagine if, imagine if someone were to guess, uh, imagine if I would tell you that Adrian Peterson would have a higher yards per carry after three weeks than Ezekiel Elliott. He's averaging 4.9 a game. That's a yeah. great clip. He's averaging almost five yards per carry. Yeah. Good for Adrian, man. Yeah. I, I, I and you know, I wasn't high on Matt Patricia coming into this year, but you know what? This team has an identity. And say what you want about, I, I think they lack talent, especially on the defensive side. Um, but really, this team has an identity, and I think that they're going to win football games. That they, they have like they have like eight and eight, nine and seven written all over them. Right. I think they're going to compete with the Bears um, for a second in that division, but I don't think I think it's clearly going to be the, the Packers, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. All right, let me ask you this: You got a best bet for this next week of matchups? Um. Not coming this week. Barely. I haven't really looked at the lines this week. Why don't you go through yours first and I'll check. I had, I had one that I thought was a good take. I heard, I heard from the RJ bell dream preview podcast this week. Um, and, and the reason why I like this one was because of how unusual you would think it was. Um, I like Miami at plus six and a half against Seattle this week. Let me tell you why. So Miami coming off 10 days rest off a good game against Jacksonville. Fitzpatrick looked like he brought his Fitch magic back to the game. Really looking coming coming off coming off a, a good momentum building game and getting 10, 10 days of rest to prepare for a very good Seattle Seattle team, um, but Seattle's coming off two very high energy wins traveling cross country to a hot and humid Miami. I think that uh, there's something to be said about them losing. I mean, I'm winning both games uh, against the Patriots and Dallas at the end of at the end of both both those games. The New England game coming within two yards and then them coming um, from behind in, in Dallas and taking that one. I think that was both just very draining wins. Um, and, and they really must, they, you can't tell me that they didn't have to spend a lot of energy to take both those. And so um, I think Seattle is probably hoping to, that they could just come into Miami and just roll right through and, and get an easy win. I don't think that's going to happen because that defense, like we said, is allowing a record amount of passing. Uh, the first team in NFL history to allow 1,200 passing yards through three weeks. Seattle is, is uh, I think, going to be shocked a little bit by this Miami offense. I mean, Fitzpatrick is throwing the ball nonstop, happy to throw it. Confidence is brimming with him. Like that postseason, that postseason, I mean, that postgame interview he had after the Thursday night game, he was, that Fitzmagic's back, dude. It's back. I love how excited he gets on the field. Yeah. He has a huge smile like him. It, when he scrambled into the end zone, that was really fun to watch. I mean, Fitzpatrick yeah. 
uh, he's a magical player. And he's got some weapons there. You know, um, Devontae Parker is a good pass catcher. Preston Williams showed some showed some stuff last year, and he got into the end zone last week. And we've seen already how athletic Mike Kosicki can be. So, yeah, I, I like this as as a um, as a pick for you, uh, Miami, keeping it close. Yeah, that's my best bet of the week so far. I think uh, the best value. I think because I mean, at plus six and a half, you probably um, get some good odds on that if you take if you take Miami. Um, yeah, I, I think I mean Miami's probably ranked right around twenty five to twenty seven or so. I think we have them twenty seven on our ATA rankings. I'd probably put them closer to twenty five. I think that's where I, ha- I had them. And Seattle's got to be like a top five team right now in everybody's rankings. But those 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 areas of power rankings really, if you look at risk management in Las Vegas, where the the, the line setters look at risk management and, and set point values to those rankings, there's about a six point differential between the the twenty fifth ranked team and the third ranked team about a six point differential, but this line of six and a half, um, against Seattle, uh, minus six and a half, it really reflects about an eight and a half to nine and a half point spread between that. Just because of the home field adjustments, it's not really clear what, how Vegas is adjusting for home field right now, just because of the lack of fans. I, it seems like they're, they're still doing around three points for home field advantage, but, um, I think it's right or more, more around two points if I had to guess, but I think that there's some value here, um, just from a risk management perspective. Um, I just think the Dallas offense, I mean, the, the Seattle offense might've looked just a little bit better than they actually are against Dallas because of those, those issues on defense that we were talking about too. So yeah. Seattle is a great team. Don't get me wrong, but I think they might've looked a little bit better than they actually were last week. And I think Miami um, is underrated coming into this matchup. So I, I think, it, I think Miami is going to, going to put up a good fight. Yeah. I think they're going to surprise a lot of people this week as well. Um, my best bet of the week is the Buffalo bills versus the Las Vegas Raiders. The bills are favored by three points and the Raiders are currently dealing with a lot of injuries on their offense. Um, Brian Edwards is out. Tyrell Williams is still out. Ruggs is injured. So it seems that Hunter Renfro is going to be their, um, their number one wide receiver this week. And I really don't think that if that's the case, they are going to be able to keep up with the bills. Um, we've seen uh, already how awesome Josh Allen has been. We've talked about it earlier in this podcast and the bills have a legitimate defense. So I think the minus three line is just way too small. Um, and I see the bills really just running up the score and I would lock that in as my best bet of the week. Yeah, I think dude, this game would have been a lot of fun if fans were allowed in that Vegas, that Vegas new arena. Mm-hmm. That 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 stadium looks a lot like looks it looks really nice. I mean, it looks like the yeah, Allegiant, Allegiant, and so Allegiant. far to new one. Yeah, yeah. I I think this game would have been a lot of fun, man. This is two good teams, and I like your point that I think Vegas is uh, a little hamstrung in this one, this matchup. And Buffalo is definitely not getting Zach Moss back. They're kind of back to full strength. Um, I, I like that pick. I think Buffalo is a, a good pick for, for this week at minus three. Um, it's a decent value, I think, just because I think Buffalo is one of those teams that just gets criminally underrated in Vegas rankings just because nobody likes to bet them. Yeah. And looking at the schedule, I think there's, there's one game I really want to hone in on right now. And that's the uh, new England Patriots versus the Kansas city chiefs. Um, the game of the week, no doubt. These teams have an awesome history the past few years. Um, when the Pats and the chiefs have come together, there's this been, Either it's been an insane playoff matchup or it's been a high-scoring regular season game. Um, ben, what do you think of the matchup here? These are two top 10 teams. Yeah, dude, this is, is going to be a great game. I can, see really, I can really see it going either way. 
I, I, I just uh, have a hard time betting against New England when that spread's so big of seven points. I think just Bill Belichick, I think uh, if you look at the stats of him being an underdog of seven, uh, six points or more, I, I think if I'm remembering right, the stats are like, he's like 50 something in like 10 or something like that. He, 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 he rarely loses against the spread when he's mm-hmm. this big of an underdog. So, um, give me Chiefs if, to win the game. Give me pass to take the spread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a, a likely outcome. But um, I just, I, I think that this is going to be another just uh, big matchup. I mean, we saw the the, the Chiefs and the Ravens kind of underwhelmed us last week on Monday night. Well, the Chiefs didn't underwhelm us, but right? Lamar and the Ravens certainly did. Exactly. So, I think that this might be the game that we were looking to instead. I think that New England isn't going to isn't going to shy to to Pat Mahomes and the new the new chiefs offense. I mean, they're not new, but I mean, they're, they're the offense. They're the, they're the shiny best exactly. play league right now. They're the Ferrari. Yeah. And I think that the Patriots are still like the Shelby Cooper. I mean, just like, they're going to, they're going to, they're just classic, man. They got that. They're one of those teams that has the simple scheme that they just, they, they know how to run offensive and defensive schemes better than anybody in the league. In my opinion, they just, I think the COVID year, the, the the fact that we're having a COVID season really plays into their their advantage because of the fact that their coaching staff is just head over heels better than most around the yeah. NFL. I think I have the Pats just in that second tier of teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I kind of I kind of put them with the Rams and the Bills and the Steelers, maybe the Saints and. I don't know. I, I think I put the Seahawks in the first year. So yeah, I would say that group of teams, I think they're, they're going to compete well. And I wouldn't be shocked if they beat any of the teams in the top tier either. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's a great game. Is that the, is that the, uh, that's a Sunday afternoon game, huh? Yeah. It's the, the four twenty five game, uh, in the East coast. All right, buddy. Uh, great podcast, man. I, I really enjoyed talking, uh, some of this stuff. I mean, we talked about a wide variety of topics. We're going to bring on, uh, your buddy, Jeff Wang, talk a little bit about the Clippers today. They had some, I mean, the 76 ers sorry, they, they signed a former Clippers head coach, Doc Rivers. We're going to bring him on and we're going to discuss a little bit of that before the end here, but um, had a really fun time talking about some, some great um, NFL football, MLB game playoffs, and then some really depressing American politics. <laughs> the depressing state <laughs> of America right now. Um, but yeah, I think the theme is certainly a lot going on and, uh, mostly fun. Yeah. Vicious talk is always fun. Absolutely, man. It's always great to talk to you, Ben. Always, always good to see that big smile. All right, buddy. Good talking with you. All right. Thanks, Benny. I think it we got Connor Larson, my, my longtime partner here at ATA. All things analysis. Welcome, Connor. What's popping, Benny? What's popping, do- dude? All right. And then we also got Jeff Wang. Jeff is a good friend of Connor's. And uh, Jeff and I met through Connor. And Jeff was, uh, has been really helpful for all things analysis. He helped us here on the Vicious Talk Pod. Uh, he was able to put together our intro song, the, the catchy little intro we got going on now. Oh, yeah. A lot. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. So Jeff is a law student at Michigan. Uh, really happy to have him on. We have him on here because uh, we'll talk about that. He's a Philadelphia Sixers fan. So with the breaking news today, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about Doc Rivers and the new coaching signing. But Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Good to see you. I'm glad you uh, bring on a, a new face here on the Vicious Talk Pod. Someone that we haven't brought on yet. Always, always fun to bring, on, uh, uh, bring someone on for a new experience. 
I'm glad we get to talk some hoops too. I feel like we've been pretty football heavy. So with the NBA finals and, and <laughs> the Clippers bailing, it's not, it's not an accident. It's not an accident. The yeah. Clippers, the Clippers are my team and I'm the host of this podcast. I don't <laughs> want to talk about the Clippers. It makes sense. It's, <laughs> it, it's tough to talk about the 76ers too. I bet Jeff. Yeah. It's been a struggle. But, uh, yeah. We're, we're, um, we're, we're struggling together, the Sixers and, and the Clippers fans. But the reason why I brought Jeff on today was the obvious news. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski reported today that Doc Rivers signed with the Philadelphia 76ers just a couple days after he was let go or parted ways with the Clippers. I don't know. If, I, don't, I don't think the wording was let go or fired. He more just like parted ways, but um, left the Clippers. Great coach. I loved him with the Clippers. Just the devil was in the details with him. I said on my last pod, just had some strategic mis- miscues in my opinion. And obviously the Clippers uh, management opinion that it just didn't really match up anymore. It didn't really make sense to, to bring him back for another year. But I think that Philadelphia is a great home for him. And Jeff, let us know what, what, what do you think? What do you, how are you feeling about the new coach in Philadelphia? Yeah. I mean, I would say I'm pretty, I'm pretty ambivalent. I think, I think it's an upgrade over Brett Brown, but I don't think it's like, I don't think it's like a slam dunk. Like, uh, definitely an upgrade over Brown for sure. Yeah. I think he's a good coach. You know, he, uh, he's obviously had success with uh, the Celtics and then a decent amount of success with the Clippers, although never, uh, I don't think he ever made it past the second round. No, he didn't. Uh, so the Clippers never made it to the Western conference finals with him and they lost twice. They lost two, uh, three, one, uh, divisions or semifinals, competitive semifinals leads. Against the Rockets yeah. in 2015. Yeah. It was, it was a the, uh, team, yeah. Rockets in 2015 and then the Nuggets this last year. So the reason why the Clippers let him go this year was not only were the three, the two, having two, three, one collapses in one, in five years is almost, you can't come back from that as a coach. He's just like, just the, the team, chem, like the team chemistry, the, the organizational just like defeat that, the Clippers must have been feeling there had to have been someone that fell on the sword this offseason for the Clippers. Like I love doc. I think he's a great person. I really respect him and the way he speaks about all the social issues that the NBA and the Clippers really address. And um, the Clippers really needed him in the Donald Sterling scandals. He was awesome in that, but Really great lately I think in the bubble. He was a big voice, especially with was a lot of players were, were and a lot of players and personnel in the NBA were going to rivers for, for advice and counsel and, and to be the voice for the NBA in terms of just making sure these concerns were expressed by the NBA and the coaches and the players. So we got the Sixers with a new coach and doc rivers. And I think that it's a good fit for them because they're Brett Brown similar to how doc was in the Clippers ran his course. He ran his course in Philadelphia. I mean, they tried everything with him. They gave him every opportunity in the book. They get, how long was he there for? Do you know, Jeff? It had, oh, to, be, had um, to be, had at least been like five years or so. Yeah. I think more than Something five years like through the whole and, process. Yeah. The trust, the process thing. So yeah, he, the, the, the real issue with Philadelphia is finding a way for them to put together an offensive strategy that plays well to the strengths of their two superstars, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. And Brett Brown was not able to do that at all throughout his tenure with the 76ers. And there was always one or the other. And it was like, if they're on the same team, it's not a competition. It's not like whose team is it? Who's playing better tonight? It's like, 
if they, why are they not better when they play on this at the same time, Joel Embiid and, and Ben Simmons were better players when the other one wasn't on the court. So that's a major, that's a poor reflection on Brett Brown and the coaching staff. And I think that doc rivers is a great guy to bring in to kind of address those chemistry issues between their two superstar players. But what do you think, Jeff? How are you feeling? I mean, I don't, I only put part of the blame on Brett Brown for our offensive struggles. Like we, we never had enough good Certainly. shooters, um, especially this, this most recent. But I mean, with JJ, they had JJ and Jimmy Butler. Yeah, yeah, we, we had JJ. Uh, he was a good shooter in the regular season, but he's, he's never been a good playoff shooter. Um, he's too short. He can't get separation. Um, you know, he struggled in the playoffs for the Clippers. He struggled in the playoffs with the Sixers. He's just not, not a good playoff shooter. Wrong. Yeah, you're right. Um, it's not wrong. Yeah. So I think, I think a lot of it goes on our, uh, not like Tobias Harris really contributed much either. Yeah. They didn't uh, really pay. They paid him a lot of money too. Probably one of the worst contracts in the league, right? It's I mean, not great. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a good way to look he's about one of, he's, he's one of those players that like he deserves the money he got, but he also isn't worth the money he got. Kind of like how Blake Griffin was with the Clippers where they gave him that big contract and then they were able to fortunately get off of it by trading for Tobias Harris and, um, yeah, got, Blake's a lot better than Toby. Blake, Blake is better shooting than Toby even now. That's what's crazy. He's like... I know, right? But yeah, Blake with the injuries is just... It's, it's really sad to see how his career's turned out just because he, the talent level of Blake Griffin was just off the charts. But the, the injuries really just derailed him. But So one thing I want to ask about Doc in terms of managing two-star players, he, he didn't quite find a way to get both Kawhi and Paul George activated at the same time. That team never really felt like it hit its potential. And I feel like the Sixers are in a very similar place. And so Doc is coming into another team where the, there are two superstars and individually they are both rock stars on their team, but can they really play with each other? And, and Jeff, do you think Doc can bring something different than what Brent Brown was bringing? And can, can he unlock the secret there? Uh, I'm honestly not that hopeful. I, I was thinking about this. I just feel like Doc Rivers teams have always been solid relative to talent, but like never really outperformed it, you know, like with the Celtics, with the big three, that team was um, so good. So you know, they got, good. they got one ring. Like that's, that's great. That's really good. But that's not, that one team that won the ring was really good. And with the yeah, Clippers, right. with Griffin, uh, Deanna Jordan, Chris Paul, JJ Redick, to not make it past the second round, that's definitely underperforming. And now with the Clippers again, with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, not making it past the second round. I think that's also underperforming. And if you look at last year, I thought they were overperforming. You know, they were, they did really well. But then you ship, you ship a uh, shy Gilgis Alexander to, uh, the Thunder, and they take the Rockets in seven games. So maybe it was wasn't really Doc, and maybe it's more the talent they had with him and Landry. So I just think Doc is like a solid coach. Like I think he gets like he gets what what's there. I'm not sure if he really gets much more than that. Here's my take on Doc Rivers and the strategy with 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 the Clippers, and I think I have a little bit more optimism for him in Philadelphia for this reason. Is uh, Doc is a really good defensive coach. And I remember him really having a good impact on DeAndre Jordan specifically. And I think he could do something similar to Joel Embiid where DeAndre Jordan, when Doc Rivers took over, DeAndre Jordan turned from a a decent player who was known for his dunking and not really much else his rim running and his dunking. Really? That was what he was known for. Doc Rivers came to the Clippers and, and turned DeAndre Jordan into a defensive like powerhouse. He, I think he made an All-NBA. I think he made first team All-NBA or second team All-NBA defense um, in D- Rivers' first or second year. And DeAndre Jordan turned into a really good rim protector. And Doc Rivers really 
made that an emphasis in, while, during Don, DeAndre's training. And I think he could do something similar for Joel Embiid because Joel Embiid for so long feels like he just hasn't reached that potential that you really expect out of him. Because if the debate between whether or not the, the 76ers should go with Embiid or Simmons is, is, is one that goes back and forth all the time. And, and you, it's almost impossible to figure out if, they're, if, if they decide to go with one or the other, which one to go with. Because in my opinion, Embiid has the most potential, but he doesn't work as hard as Simmons, I don't think. I don't think he has the work ethic. And he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not consistent like Simmons. Embiid could look like the best, the best player in the NBA one night and then look like he just disappears another. And you don't see that from Simmons because Simmons is one of those guys kind of who just, uh, he knows how to run a team. He knows how to play. He knows how to facilitate. He knows how to run an offense. He knows how to play in transition. He plays great defense. I think he made second team all all, uh, defense this year and, um, or close to, I I know he's just a fantastic defender. And so really, I just think that doc rivers can have an impact on the individuals in, in the 76ers organization, but you're right in the sense that, He's, he, he's come up short many a times with talented teams and it, it remains to be seen whether or not he could get over that hump. Um, and I don't know that, I don't know if this is going to be the most talented team he's, he's played with, he's worked for. Cause you're right. That's that Clippers lob city team was just so good. This year's Clippers team had so much talent. Like there's something to be said about Doc Rivers falling short with these, some of these teams. I mean, the Celtics missed out on a few opportunities when he was there too. So it's not, it's, it's not the perfect signing by no means, but I think that of the available options, I think the 76ers made the right choice. Yeah. I mean, I think it came down to him or Mike D'Antoni. So I was thinking about that, trying to figure out who, if I was happy that we took Doc over, over D'Antoni. I I don't think D'Antoni coaching Ben Simmons was the right call. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Ben Simmons is obviously really good at transition and D'Antoni likes, likes uh, running a fast offense. Mm-hmm. But, but on the other hand, he also needs a guard that can create and Simmons can't really create in the half court. So it's, uh, Just it's like a half a good fit, but not, not a full good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I like D'Antoni better as a coach overall. I think he's like a I smaller don't. coach. Uh, I, don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't like D'Antoni. I don't like D'Antoni. I don't think, uh, I don't, I think D'Antoni has a similar issue where he's not, he doesn't get the most out of his players. There's most of his teams. That Suns team back in 2005 with, uh, Omar Stoudemire, Steve Nash, Quentin Richardson, uh, Marbury. No, not, uh, what's his name? Marion, Sean Marion, Rajah Bell, Rajah Bell, uh, Barbosa. Those teams were so good. And D'Antoni came up short with them and the Rockets did the same thing. I mean, I think the Rockets, I mean, that's, that's so different, different. Though, man. Like the, the Rockets have so many different issues too. So I don't completely blame D'Antoni on that, but I just don't like the style of play that D'Antoni has his teams do. I don't like, I don't, I don't think it's conducive to successful basketball, the way that they play so fast and give up so many points. I don't think it's conducive to successful basketball. I just think coming up, coming up short against like the Spurs and Duncan's prime or against the Lakers with uh, Kobe and Powell or against the Warriors with uh, Steph, Clay, and KD is like a little different than coming up short against the Nuggets, you know? Like, right. Different type of uh, coming up short. So I think Antonio's had a better track record in the playoffs. But I do get your point about uh, play style. You see the limits of it uh, this year. It's fun. Kind of the way just- D'Antoni, yeah, the way D'Antoni teams play is fun to watch sometimes. But I think that when it's not working, there's really not many pivots 
for the for the D'Antoni teams to adjust to when their shots aren't falling or they're, they're, the other team slows the game down. Like there aren't many pivots for D'Antoni teams to be able to succeed when the other team is controlling the pace of play and when the shots aren't falling. So I think Rivers has a better sense of the game uh, on the defensive side for sure. I think that Rivers is a better. Um, I don't know. I just, I, as a Clippers fan, I just, I, I really loved Rivers as my head coach over the last few years. But you're right in the sense that, I mean, he, it's it's not much different than D'Antoni's struggles, where they have they've had a lot of talent and they haven't haven't made it far enough to really be considered a, a championship level coach because he's only won the one and he's had so many talented teams. Yeah, one thing I would say about Doc Rivers and the way he commands a team, he really seems like the team's general and, and there's no no questioning um, who, who's in control there. And I think with with Brett Brown and with D'Antoni a little bit, it seems like the players can overshadow the coach in a lot of situations. And I think really that the, this signing could be mostly directly attributed to getting the most out of Joel Embiid. I, I think that's the target of this because exactly. Embiid has the top five potential, but he really didn't respect Brett Brown. He never came into a season in shape. You know, he was always out. Not, I wouldn't say always out partying because obviously this is a professional athlete and he gives a lot of effort. I don't want to pl- downplay that, but based on what we see in his potential in, in certain stretches, he could be one of those players that if, if a coach, can push him the right amount without discouraging him. You could really unlock a next level in the Sixers could take a step up. Yeah. I yeah. do. I do hope, uh, you know, like Doc's stature in the league kind of, uh, encourages Ben and Joel to, I mean, they definitely work hard, but they, they're, they're not working hard enough in certain aspects, you know, like Ben works hard, but he's not making progress in shooting and Joel, yeah. Joel works hard and he's not making progress in conditioning. So. There are these areas where they need to work, and hopefully, right. Doc's kind of stature will help with that. And, and Connor, you, that'll attract I, some other talents around the league to the team as well, because that team has struggled filling out a full roster. You know, the, the the bench wasn't very strong this year, and they struggled to score outside of their main options. So maybe having Doc as a figurehead on that team will also attract some maybe veteran players or, or some guys who who really like his coaching style. Dude, what happened to Richardson on that team this year? You're right. Just so many, so many players just disappeared. Richardson was supposed to be an awesome signing for them and the, or awesome get from the last off season. He just disappeared. Yeah. I mean, I think there's two issues. Uh, I think we need a shooting coach. Uh, every, every player who comes to us gets worse at shooting. us <laughs> gets better at shooting. Um, but I think the other thing is we need a, we need someone who can command the attention of the defense in the half court from the perimeter. Um, someone like, uh, Obviously, we, I mean, we can't get like Steph Curry, but someone like Curry or Lillard or even Curry's brother. Like yeah, no kidding. Can, Shake, Shake uh, Milton was their best player. <laughs> doing yeah, that yeah. This year. Like, he was our best perimeter player in a half court. And that's just like not, not enough. Like you need mm-hmm. someone with a lot of gravity to create shots for people like, like Josh Richardson, people who are like really solid role players, but they can't, they can't create for themselves. Mm-hmm. They need someone who can really uh, attack from the perimeter in the half court. Yeah. I, and I think that, uh, Connor, you hit the nail on the head with the Doyle and Bead point because Rivers has already a, a, a good rapport with Joel Embiid. He know he he knows Embiid from when Embiid was in, playing in Africa with the, with the NBA Beyond Borders. Rivers met him in in Africa. Where's where's uh, Embiid from? Uh, Cameroon. Cameroon. 
he met, he met Embiid in that program. Wow. And so he's known Embiid for before he went to Kansas. So he's very familiar with the player. He probably already has ideas on how to help him improve as, as an individual player. Um, I think that if the, if the 76ers are considering their options um, by separating Embiid and Simmons this offseason, and I'm sure they're considering it, Embiid, I think, is going to be the guy that stays. And I think Simmons is the guy they're considering trading. Um, and I, I think, I, and personally, I think I would go the other way. I think I would keep Simmons and trade Embiid, but I think the Sixers are going to do the opposite. I think if I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I think it's a possibility. And I think that if they trade uh, either Embiid or Simmons this offseason, I, I don't think it's going to be Embiid. I think Rivers came to Philadelphia to coach Joel Embiid. Yeah, I think I would agree with that take. Um, and I think you guys have given some really strong analysis here. Um, and one, one of our mottos at all things analysis is that we're going to give you an analysis and we're going to support it with data and statistics, but we're also going to have a take. Um, so going forward next year, where do you guys see the 76ers finishing Uh regular season? Do they make the playoffs? Go ahead, Jeff. Um, I think we'll be in the top, top five. Uh, I think they, we'll probably, the fifth seed this, this year, they were the fifth seed, weren't they? Or sixth seed? I think we were the fifth or sixth this year. Um, I think we'll probably be about the same or a little better this regular season. Um, and then in the playoffs. Yeah, they were six. I'm, I'm hoping we can put up a fight in the second round. I'm hoping we can put up a fight in the second round and maybe get in the conference finals. Um, which is a far cry from back when we were saying like Simmons and, and Embiid is a lock for the finals if we like build correctly. So um, now I'm just hoping to be competitive. Yeah, that Al Horford contract is killing them. I, I don't, I don't, I don't even hate Tobias Harris. I know he's getting paid a lot of money, but I still like him as a player. I think you could use him, especially I mean, Rivers has already coached him in LA. He probably has ideas for Tobias and unlocking some of his potential. But uh, the Al Horford contract is looking terrible last offseason. Yeah, he looks old. How about you, Ben? Where do you think, where do they finish? Oh, I think the potential is there for a championship appearance in the East. I think that the potential is there. I mean, if you look at the Bucks, they struggle a lot in the postseason this year, so they're really going into the next season with a, a lack of intimidation. Like they're not really intimidating anybody going into next year. And the heat are going to be the Eastern team that everybody's going to have their eye on. I mean, because of that heat team is already so young and they're going to be that young core of Adebayo, hero, Duncan Robinson. Oh man, dude, those guys are three like really great players. And then, uh, Brooklyn I don't know. Dangerous. The Celtics, I think the Celtics, I think, I, I think the Celtics are really good too. I love Jason Tatum and I think Jason Tatum is going to be an MVP candidate next year, but the Sixers have a potential to, I mean, the last couple, few years, they've really had potential to go to the, all the way to the finals. Uh, but I don't know. It's going to remain. It's going to, it's going to, we're going to find out if rivers could really unlock some of that potential because you're, I mean, rivers is as a head coach, we've already talked about it. He, he's not, he's not um, immune to, making two coaching teams that choke down the stretch and fail to live up to their potential. So right. I think it's a wide, one of the teams that has the, some of the widest range of p- potential outcomes. Um, and I, I'm interested to see what they do this off season, because unless they make a trade of Ben Simmons or Embiid, um, their options are somewhat limited in terms of, they don't really have much cap space to sign a, a free agent or any free agents. Um, and they don't really have many assets that they could flip uh, besides Simmons and Embiid. So, right. 
Th- those those Tobias Harris and Al Horford contracts. No one's taking those. Uh, th- they're a big anchor to that team, and and that's why I think, you know, the the complementary players, even if they do get more out of Embiid, I, I don't think that team can really push some of some of the better teams like Miami or Milwaukee or or Brooklyn next year with a healthy KD. So I, uh, I think they're either a first or second round bounce depending on what seed they fi- they finish in. Um, one thing I'm really interested in is. Um, who do you guys think between you two, you know, between Doc's old team and his new team, who who finishes with the better record next year? And that's uh, the Clippers and I know my pick. I mean, I think the Clippers are gonna do better. They still have Kobe. <laughs> right. unless, unless like Paul George like demands another trade, which like <laughs> it's up his alley. I think if if you have Kawhi Dude. and Paul George in a team, like at least in why, the season, why are we just learning about Paul George's mental in, mental lack of mental fortitude? Why are we just learning about this? Like, why are we learning about, I don't know. I don't think it's a unique circumstance <laughs> when you're locked in a bubble and you're kind of excommunicated from seeing a lot of people and, and living your normal life. And I think right now it's really stressful. And so it's not shocking to see a few players come out with um, so, some talk of anxieties or, or stress, um, especially when you consider um, what's going on with the political climate and uh, wh- what's happening in this country as well. I, kn- I know a lot of the NBA players were affected by what's going on in that sense, not just the pandemic or the bubble. So I- I'm not shocked to hear that a few players dealt with it, but you're, you're certainly right that Paul George was more affected by others, especially in the way he showed up at the end of that series. So maybe it was just a unique year. I'm not ready to write off Paul George because we know what his talent level is. I think in a more normalized season and hopefully um, a less aggressive political climate next year, the, these guys will be back to normal. And, and I do think the Clippers will finish better as well. I don't disagree with that. I like it. All right, Jeff, thanks for coming on today, buddy. It was a lot of fun catching up with you. And, uh, and really, I, I thank you a lot for that, for helping us out with that intro science. It's a great tune to, to play to let everybody know vicious talk. It's on. So yeah, no problem. Thanks for thanks for having me on. It's fun. All right, buddy. All right, let's 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 go let's go Sixers and let's go Clippers. All right, <laughs> all right. I, I'm sick of watching these Lakers six championships in my lifetime while the Clippers haven't made it to a Western Conference Finals. We need one of these teams to get in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, buddy. Have a good one.